Hey, would you put your hands together for the Branch Nashville? <clears throat> One of the most exciting things about pastoring Victory is the involvement outside of these four walls in the community. And so you heard Brian and Zoe mention all that we were able to do last month, October, in the Trunk Retreat. Thousands of people were convinced, came through. It was, it was an insane crowd. Uh, the amount of candy we gave out and the way we were able to just serve our community. And then this month, as you know, we're taking up the cereal for the branch. And then in December, we always do a huge outreach uh, for families and Christmas presents. And so it's just an honor every week. And, and when I'm in circles in the community to be able to talk about all that Victory's doing, that's a shout out to Zoe and Kyle who lead our outreach ministry so well. Can we just put our hands together for them real quick? <clears throat> and it's just, again, it's just... It's just cool to be a part, and I hope you're excited to be a part of a church that doesn't just have great ministry inside these four walls, but doing something outside in the community. Um, next, next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series called Trust Issues, and it's going to be a series uh, kind of around finances and vision, and I really want to encourage you to be here. I think it's going to be a real challenging, encouraging series. I do one at the end of every year about this because I think a lot of us, especially now with our culture and what's happening in our economy, finances can be stressful and can be worrisome. And I want to really turn to scripture and kind of be encouraged in some things. But also, we have a resource, a free resource for everybody in our church that we're going to release next Sunday. And I just think it's going to be a great resource for you and your family. And so I'm encouraged for you to be able to come and be a part of that. But today, I'm gonna, I don't do this very often. I want to do a standalone sermon. I like to stay in those series and those themes so that you can kind of come throughout three or four, five, six weeks and, and kind of get the whole idea. But a few weeks ago, in the middle of at the movies... I started to see kind of a rise in conversation about the end times. It makes sense all that's happening right now with, with rumors of wars and actual wars. It makes sense that the, that the conversation has started to come, come back up. And you kind of see this, depending on how old you are, you've seen where that will be a topic of conversation. It'll kind of die down and come back up. And I really wanted to address it that Sunday, but we were in the middle of at the movies and I knew we had promoted it to our community. And so I didn't want them to show up and it not be that. And so I said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the Sunday right after. We're going to talk about this, and then we'll move on to our new series next Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to open up with a different scripture, but, uh, but the meat of this message is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So whether you have a paper Bible or your phone, of course, it'll be on the screen behind you, however it is that you're following along. But that's going to be the meat of it. And so if you have your phone, you might be able to jump from 1 Peter 4 to 1 Corinthians 15, but got your paper Bible, that might be a little bit more difficult. So you can just kind of put your hand or thumb or whatever on 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to start reading 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll get into this. <clears throat> Verses 7 through 11 says, the end of all things is near. Wow, right? Real, real encouraging, kind of a, you know, gloom and doom kind of message here. It's not what it's going to be, don't worry. Um, it says, therefore, be, everybody say alert, alert, alert and be of sober mind, so that you may pray. So the end of all is near. We don't really have that time frame. I'll talk about that in a minute. The end of all things is near, but because of that, be alert and be of sober mind so that you can just walk around and worry. No, so that you will pray. I love this. He then kind of makes a turn and says, above all, love each other deeply. That this concern of an end should push us in a realm where we're not worrisome or we're not attacking one another, but we are loving each other even more because love covers over a multitude of sins. It goes on to say, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So love one another and help one another without grumbling about it. 
Each of you should use whatever gift that you've received to serve others. So whatever gifting God's given you, whatever talent you have, whatever time and, you know, whatever that is, use it to glorify God and to help serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter goes on to say, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And so don't gossip and, and don't, don't come up with what you think is going to happen and don't make up stuff to scare people. If you're going to speak, speak the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And he ends it with, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And everybody says, amen. amen. The title of my sermon today is simply this, live like there's no tomorrow. How do we do that? How do you live like there's no tomorrow? When, when you have moments like in our culture right now, where the conversation and the comments about the end times or the last days is back relevant again. How do you live? Depending on your theology or where your faith walk is with the Lord, you may find yourself in different categories when people start talking about the end times. For example, uh, you may be somebody, and this is okay, that when this conversation starts to strike up, there's fear. There's just this natural fear of, the end times, and you start to get a little bit worrisome, and you start to YouTube certain videos or talk to spiritual leadership in your life because there's just a sense of worry. You may be somebody who's on the opposite side of the spectrum, and you're numb to it. That the conversation has happened so much in the, in the time period in which you've been alive, and it's talked and nothing's happened, that when the conversation comes up again, you almost kind of ignore it. You're numb to it. It's kind of like the whole Y2K conversation, right? You know, like every time there's a new decade, we start to, oh, is this the end of the world? And it's like, man, we've done this before. Nothing's happened. I'm tired of talking about it, right? Or maybe you're in the middle of both of those and you're interested in it. You're not fanatic about it, but you're interested and you're engaged and you're doing your best to educate yourself. R regardless of what category you're in, I think it is important for all of us to lean into the Word of God and know how we should live in the end times, Bible-believing Christians may disagree on some of the details surrounding the end times, and that's okay. But we can all agree on this. Jesus is coming again. This is not up for debate in my theology. It's not up for debate in my world that Jesus will return. He's coming back. And when you read throughout the New Testament, for every 30 verses in the New Testament, there is one verse about the second coming of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is how common the conversation is. It's not, a, it's not a if. Now, no man knows when, right? The Bible is very clear that no man knows the hour, that there will be signs and, and prophecies that you and I will see fulfilled that we can lean into and go, maybe it's near, but none of us know when. He could come right now in mid-sentence. Boom, he's back. He chose Daylight Savings Day to come back, right? Shocked us all and came an hour later or earlier. I'm not sure which one it is. But, but nobody knows the time. But we do know he is coming. During his earthly ministry, when he was asked specifically about the signs of the end times, Jesus gave specific answers. None more clear than this. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be ready. Now, again, if we misinterpret that, that can come off as a little bit burdensome or maybe even scary. But if we understand what Christ is saying, 
It's not so much about panic, it's about purpose. When my oldest daughter started playing softball, she had never played softball before. And my wife is an, is an athlete. She, was, she had played softball before. And so we're out on the field the first time, and they put Veda on the third base. And if you know anything about baseball or softball, it's pretty common for the ball to come towards first base or third base. That's just kind of a, a common hit. But in this league, you've got about half of the girls, maybe 30% of the girls are good, and the other percentage of the girls are brand new to the game. Some of them don't even want to be there. Their parents have made them come out there. Like, it's, it's quite an, an extreme uh, difference. And so it was very easy for Veda to just kind of be lulled to sleep in the process, you know? When you go through batter after batter, pitch after pitch, and nothing's coming her way. So Darla would be sitting in the bench, and she would go, be ready! Be ready! Put your glove down! Get in your stance! She had this little stance. She was ready. Be ready, because you never know! Because if you're not careful, pitch after pitch, play after play goes by, and you start to go, well, I guess ball's never coming my way. Oh, look, pretty butterfly. And then, and then you're distracted. And then before you know it, bam, and it comes straight to you, and you miss it, and it goes right past you. And so Darla was saying, be ready. Imagine Jesus on, on the, the, the benches of our lives saying, be ready. Saying, I know as day goes by and day goes by and day goes by and you wake up and you go to work and you come home and you do laundry and you eat dinner and you go to bed and you wake up and you go to work and you come home and you do laundry and you're getting dinner and you go to bed. And like day by day by day, and if you're not careful, you'll lull yourself to sleep and be like, ooh, Netflix. <laughs> and then shoo, you'll miss it as it comes by. So Jesus says, be ready, be alert. Now, this is not a sermon about when he's coming back, because I do not know. This is not a sermon to educate you on the end times that would take way more than a standalone sermon. It is a message to go after the idea of how you and I should live in the end times. I was talking to somebody who had this kind of a question, like, you know, well, how am I supposed to live? And I, I didn't say it to him because I didn't want to come off rude, but my thought was this. If we are living right now, then it won't matter when he comes. Does that make sense? If I'm living right every day, if I'm living with this purpose and this direction that God's given me, then it's, I don't have to worry about being missed. I don't have to worry about when God's coming because I'm living the way I should be living every day. And I think that's what Jesus Christ was saying when he said, be alert, stay awake. I think he was saying, live like this every day because you never know. Live like this right now every day because it might be the day. But if you live like this every day, you will experience blessing even if I choose not to come today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I think Paul gave us three ways to live. I want to share those with you, and then we want to pray together. Number one is this. I think Paul wants us to live with the resurrection in mind. Live with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the front of our mind and in our heart as we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, Paul says this. And if I, Christ, I'm sorry, if, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. All right, I'm going to come back to what he's talking about in a minute. You are still in your sins. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then everything we're talking about is a lie, and therefore you're still a sinner, and you're still going to hell, and all these things, you're still in your sins. He says, then those who also have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, they're lost. Oh, your grandmamas and your grandpappies and your aunts and uncles that have passed away who you knew were a believer in Jesus, and you've said out of your mouth, I'll see him one day as we're walking through the streets of gold, right? And he, Paul's saying, if the resurrection's not true, then they're lost, 
You won't see them again. It's over. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, watch. If all we have hope in Christ for is this, it is the time frame that we live here, then we are all people who should be pitied. We should be pitied. If, if, if Christ didn't rise from the grave, we're wasting our time. We should all be watching the Chiefs beat the Dolphins in Germany right now. I'm speaking prophetically because I don't know if that's happening, but I hope it is. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, listen to me. If the resurrection is not real, if it didn't happen, then what are we worshiping? Why are we singing gratitude? Why are we serving in V-Kids? Why did you wake up early to come to church? We have no reason to be here if he didn't rise from the dead. Your faith is futile. But then he hits back and watch this. But, everybody say but. But. Always look for them big butts in the Bible. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul says, but he has been raised from the dead. And the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Adam, right? Through, for, for as in Adam, all died, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Paul says, because of the resurrection, you and I will be alive and live forever. But if there is no resurrection, then we're dead. The fear of death and the fear of what happens when we die is still one of the top 10 fears of Americans. So a study did a poll, and they polled the top 10 fears of Americans, and in every one of those top 10 fears, somewhere in that list was either the fear of death or the fear of what happens when we die. There's a sense of not knowing. So it would make sense that conversation about the end times, because what happens when you start talking about the end times, you then bring death to the forefront, because when we talk about end times, we understand that to get to the end times, we're dead, right? So this in concept of you now bring death to the forefront and you evoke, you invoke fear. So it's natural that any conversation about end times, there's something naturally in us that wants to rise up and be fearful. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with you. There's this sense of, I don't know what's going to happen. There's this sense of, I know what the word says. There's a sense of what I was taught since I was a kid. But there's just this kind of, this thing, this little bit of fear. And if we don't know the Lord, and if we don't know the word of God, then there's a great amount of fear. Maybe some of your coworkers, your family members, they don't know the Lord. So there's a great amount of fear that rises up in them when you start talking about the end times. But here's what Paul's trying to remind us of. That Jesus gave up his life, and then he rose from the dead, so that you and I could overcome sin, watch this, and we could overcome the threat of death. That because of the resurrection of God, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I do not have to fear death. That though death may be scary, we don't have to fear it. Why? Because there's something greater than it. Because our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if that wasn't real, now look, you may be somebody who like, you're all about this Jesus thing, but you're not quite sure about the resurrection, and that seems a little crazy. I would tell you I've preached sermons that you should go watch on our website about how you would know the resurrection. Uh, There's resources. The Case for Christ is one of the best books you can read out there that gives medical, historical, and practical evidence that the resurrection did happen. 
Okay, so I'm just letting you know, if you, if you don't believe it, don't believe it because I'm saying it, go and educate yourself so that you do believe it. But obviously following Jesus is a sense of following in faith. We understand that. But Paul says the resurrection happened. And because the resurrection happened, we don't have to fear death as a result of the resurrection. So let me, let me give you an illustration to help you understand. When I was young, before video games became a thing that you could have in your bedroom, we had to go to a place called the arcade. Y'all remember the arcade? Remember this place? You'd walk into this building, and there would be all of these games all throughout the building. And they were amazing. You had Galaga, you had uh, Pac-Man, you had the Ninja Turtle game, which is my favorite. You had Mortal Kombat. You had the Cruise in USA. You had the shooting games. You had all, it was amazing. And what would happen if you had good parents is they would drop you off with like, you know, 20 bucks, all right? And say, here, go have fun, you know? And we lived in a world where you couldn't get kidnapped and murdered. And so you were like, yay! And you ran into the arcade. <clears throat> and when you're in the arcade, you're having a blast. You got 20 bucks, you put it in that little ancient machine, and it shoots out 40 quarters, right? And you don't count them because you still had trust in your life. And you take it, and you go play all, and, and, and it took a quarter to play a game. And you play the game, and it took a quarter, and you're having a blast, and you're loving it, and you set a quarter on the game because you knew you, at some point you were going to die, and when you die, the game what? It's over. So you had to take the quarter and put the quarter back in to keep playing. And you hit the button, and boom, like there your character came back to life. Remember that? Like the Holy Ghost, just boom, right back in the spot. And you got to play as long as you had quarters. But when you were done with quarters, and you were on your last quarter, and you were playing the game, you feared death. And you feared death because you knew that if you die, you don't have any more money, and so the game is over. And we were trained to fear death because when we die, the game is over. And there's a lot of fear connected to that. When we moved here as a family to Plant Victory Church, we were in Smyrna. We were driving down the street one day, and we came across this store. It's something galaxy. I can't remember the name of it. But I read a sign on the door, and I pulled over, and I went in. And it is an arcade that for $10, you can play unlimited arcade games for one hour. For $20, you can play unlimited arcade games for the entire day. Y'all should be way more excited about this. Like, we should leave church right now, and I'll go play there. You know what I mean? Like, for 20 bucks, y'all, 20 bucks was like 40 games for you in the day. This is 24 hours. You can just be in there playing. So I, I was like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go play arcades for the entire day. And so I showed up. I was like, how does this work? And they showed me every game, Pinball, Galaga, Pac-Man, Mortal Kombat. You play, and when your character dies, all right, when it would be game over, there's a button, and you push the button, and it all of a sudden brings you back to life. I don't need quarters. I don't need any extra money. I paid a one-time fee. It was paid for, and now I can play unlimited. And here's what I found out. I did not fear dying. I no longer was afraid to die in the arcade game because I knew that if I died, it was not game over. I knew all I had to do was push the button. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Christ paid a one-time fee for us. He died for our sins, and then he resurrected from the grave so that you would realize that when you die, the game is not over. It's not over. You get to keep on living. So we don't fear death 
Because as believers, when we live with the resurrection in mind, we understand that the end is just the beginning. We understand this idea that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The fear of death is the idea that this game is over. Me understanding that the resurrection of God means that death does not win, right? It means that though my mortal body may not breathe anymore, now my spirit is in heaven for eternity through the salvation of Jesus Christ. When I understand the gospel, I no longer fear death because I only fear death when death is the end for me, when it's game over. But because of the resurrection, this is why Paul says you've got to live with the resurrection in mind. You have to live and believe that God will raise your mortal body. You have to believe that God has died and resurrected and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now in your mortal body. You have to believe it. And if you believe it, you will not fear death. It's in 1 Corinthians where Paul goes on to say, death, where is your sting? Where's your sting? Where's your impact, death? Why would I be scared of you? I understand that death will always hold a sense of heartbreak and grief because when somebody dies, we lose them on this earth. I understand. I'm not saying that there will ever be a time where that's not hurtful. But you can be hopeful when you understand that for that person, the story doesn't stop there. That's why when I get asked to do a funeral, the first question I always ask the person who's asking me is, were they a believer? because I got two different messages to go here. I'm either gonna talk about the person who's now enjoying a way better experience than you and I are, and they're lucky because they beat us there, or the individual who unfortunately did not. But you understand, this is Paul saying, death, where is your sting? Because your sting used to be the fact that it shut down. It used to be the fact that now I'm locked and trapped in my sins. It used to be the fact that death had won over me, but Christ came and overcame death. So Paul says, death, where is your sting? So for you, or when somebody's talking to you, whether it be a conversation in end times or anything, when the idea of death is brought up and you feel fear, you tell that fear, I have the resurrection. The resurrection's in mind. I don't fear you, death, because God is living inside of me and because what you think might be an end is only the beginning. So Paul says, have the resurrection in mind. Number two, Paul says, have eternity in mind. I love the way Paul says this because it's, there, there are times in Scripture, especially depending on the versions you read, where it can really relate to you, where you can really see yourself in the Scriptures, and it really, it really means something. It really opens up the idea. And that's why anytime I'm reading a Scripture, I'll read so many different versions of it because I want to see it from all kinds of different perspectives. But I love this in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start reading verse 32. Watch what Paul says. He says, hey, if we never live again after we die, if, if, in other words, if after we die, this is it, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. <laughs> Don't you love that? Like, Paul's just keeping it real. You know what I mean? Like, like, be real for a second. Take the Christian mask off for a second and listen to what Paul's saying. Paul's like, let's be honest. If this is all we got to work with, if when I die, I die, let's go have a good time. Well, part of, watch what he says. He says, let us eat, let us drink, and let us be merry. 
Bring me all the biscuits, right? Bring me all the cheesecake and the brownies. Bring me all the Coca-Cola and the sweet tea or whatever y'all would drink if you were about to die. Bring, bring, let's, let's, let's be merry. Let's party. Let's go to Broadway. Let's have a good time. Let's listen to some music. Let's get lit. You know what I mean? Let's party because we are about to die. And if we die, that's it. That's it. He says, what's the difference? What's the difference? For tomorrow we die and it ends everything. If there's nothing after this, what are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we here? If there's nothing after this, and he just makes it very blunt, man, let's drink, let's eat, let's party. Because tomorrow we die. Let's get all the money we can get while we're here. Let's get all the toys we can get while we're here. Let's get all the fandom and popularity we can get while we're here. Let's get all of the followers and all the notoriety. notoriety, And let, let's be the man or let's be the woman while we're here. Because this is all we have. Right? Now watch what he says. He says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Because if you listen to them, you'll start acting like them. If you believe it, you start living like it. If you believe that it all stops and it's all wrapped up in a bow with what happens with your 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, some of you may be blessed to be 100, whatever it might be, whatever your life package is, if you believe that that's all it is, then man, let's start partying right now. But if there's more, then live like it. Either we live every day like there's heaven and hell or we don't either we live every day like there's an eternity to be lived or we don't either we live every day like there's more after once we pass or we don't we can't be one foot in and one foot out. The Bible says don't be lukewarm. Be cold or be hot. Either be about it or I imagine, this is what Paul's saying, either be committed to the idea that you are living for something beyond this or enjoy this because it's all you got. You see what I'm saying? He's saying pick one or the other. Come on, church. Let's, 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 let's live like we're going to spend eternity in heaven thanks to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Let's live like if we don't tell our family and if we don't tell our friends and if we don't tell our neighbors, they'll spend eternity in hell. Let's live that way. Let's not live like TikTok matters. You know what I mean? And I'm not judging. You got TikTok, cool. Get your TikTok on. But don't live like it matters. Don't live like stuff matters. Don't live like finances matter. I know you got to live. Y'all hear my heart in this. Don't live like this is it. Don't live like this is it. Because if this is it, then let's eat, let's drink, and let's die. But if there's more, if the moment I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord, then I want to live today like that's the truth. I want to live amongst you like that's the truth. I want my kids to believe that's the truth. I want to preach like that's the truth. I want you to go to lunch thinking about, you know what? My waiter or waitress may not know Jesus. And if Christ came back after this Chiefs game, which it could happen, 
she might not go to heaven or he might not go to heaven. So let me see if I can share the gospel. See what I mean? Paul's saying live with eternity in mind. Every opportunity you have is an opportunity to help somebody else understand eternity. Let me, let me help you with the thought. We have a wide variety of people in the room, different backgrounds, different ages, different ways you were raised. But there are five words that, that most of us can pretty much relate to no matter how we were raised. Um, and, and here's the five words. Wait until dad gets home. <laughs> Y'all know about them words? You know what I mean? And depending on how you were raised, the, the, this was a very uh, fearful statement. You know what I mean? Th this was a statement that when mom said it, it struck straight fear in your spirit. Because in your family, maybe dad was a disciplinarian. And so mom would say things like, ooh, ooh, wait till your dad gets home. And depending on how she said it, you knew you were about to get messed up. You know what I mean? Like, I remember my mom used to say that to me all the time, and I would try to find my way. I was telling the first service, I would try to stand in a way. I'd go practice my stance because I was trying to figure out how can I stand to where his spanking wouldn't hurt as bad. Like, if I could just move my butt in, maybe he would miss a little bit. Like I'd be, but she would tell me, Dad, like, I would do something because I woke up a sinner. You know what I mean? So I'd do something bad at 930 in the morning, and she'd go, ooh, just wait till your dad gets home. He's going, just, I'm going to tell him, just wait till your dad gets home. He wouldn't get home till 7 o'clock at night. And so all day I'd just be shaking in fear. You know, I'm eating, food's falling off the fork. Like, I'm just scared to death, thinking I'm about to get beat. And it made, watch this, it made you fear the return of your father. Right? Because you were convinced that the return of the father meant payment for your mistakes, consequences for your sins. Meanwhile, there's somebody else in the room. Those five words mean something different to you. I was talking to a young lady after the first service. She said, it always meant when my dad was coming home, it meant we were going to go outside and do some type of activity. They said, man, it meant we were going to throw the football. It meant we were going to throw the baseball. It meant we were going to go out and have dinner somewhere at a restaurant, maybe go get ice cream. So when I heard, wait until your dad gets home, listen to me. I was hearing it like, oh, wait until your dad gets home. She was hearing it like, oh, wait until your dad gets home. And what that meant for her is that when daddy gets here, we're going to something greater than we're experiencing right now. So when you think it's one, you fear dad's return. When you think it's the other, you can't wait for him to come back. See what I mean? Some of us have been taught the gospel. Some of us have been taught religion. Let me say it that way. That the only thing that matters about the return of Christ is that you're going to have to pay for your sins that you're finally going to be punished for your mistakes. But when you understand the grace of Christ and you understand the gospel and you surrender your life to Jesus, no longer do you fear the return of your father. The return of your father is something you look forward to. Because I know that when Jesus returns, it means I'm going to something greater than I'm experiencing right now. Amen. And even though this is great, and I appreciate all that God's done in my life and it's filled with blessings, it does not compare to being with him. And so because I know the Father, and because I know the character of the Father, this idea, because I have eternity in mind, I am excited about the idea 
of an end times. I am excited about the idea. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. I don't know the details of it. I'm just telling you that in the end, we win. I'm just telling you that in the end, I get to be with my father. I understand that he's taking me somewhere, streets of gold, mansions, and areas that are better than what I'm experiencing right now. As believers, we live different because we understand that the world is not it, y'all. We know that there's more coming, that there's something greater that awaits us. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying when you live with the resurrection in mind, you don't fear death. Because death is not the end, it's the beginning for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that Christ died for your sins, and under his crucifixion and under his resurrection, your sins are forgiven, then this is not the end for you. This is just the beginning. The Bible says this is like a blink of an eye which means these years you've lived in high school, which felt like a down, goodness, felt like 70 years going through high school. Blink of an eye, blink of an eye, blink of an eye. Eternity with Christ in heaven. So you don't, you don't fear the end times because I've got the resurrection in mind. I've got eternity in mind. What does that mean? That I'm working in a way to get as many people as I can to experience the eternity I'm going to experience. I'm not in panic. I'm in purpose. Because I've got the eternity in mind. Right? I don't think y'all think this way, so I'm going to think this way for you. There's going to be a day where you're in heaven and somebody's going to come running up to you. They're going to look you in your eyes and they're going to say, thank you. You're not going to recognize them. They're going to thank you for what? They're going to say, thank you for planting Victory Church. Thank you for building Victory Church. Thank you for coming and serving and giving. Thank you for helping them move to Antioch because... I had not been to church and I had not received Christ, but all of a sudden y'all moved to Antioch and y'all were three minutes away from my house. And so I was able to come there. I, had to, I could walk there if my car didn't start. And I came one Sunday and you didn't meet me at the door and tell me that I wasn't dressed right. You had a bunch of sinners who were saved by grace guarding that door. And so they were welcoming and loving me and hugging me. And I walked in and I came into an environment. I sat down in a seat and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I gave my heart to Jesus. And because you did that, I'm in heaven today for eternity. Right? Be people who live in Costa Rica that'll look at you and say thank you. There'll be babies who were born because of our support of Scott Horde who will end up in heaven and walk up to you and go thank you. That's eternity thinking. This is not a time to fear, it's a time to be on purpose. It's a time to be charged. It's a time to go from I'm just sitting at my desk trying to count away the minutes to does my coworker know Jesus, right? It's, man, I can't believe food's gotten more expensive to, hey, excuse me, waiter, do you know Jesus? It's a purposed time. So Paul says, keep the resurrection in mind, keep keep eternity in mind, and then thirdly, keep purpose in mind. Keep purpose in mind. So he's getting ready to wrap up this particular chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says this, watch. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And then always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
I broke it into three bullet points that I feel like Paul is giving us in that verse. Number one is this, Paul says, in the end days, in the last days, in the end times, number one, be saved. Be saved. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died for your sins. Believe in your heart is a faith issue. It's a moment where you say, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. I believe I couldn't save myself. And then you verbalize it. You don't have to verbalize it to somebody. Maybe you verbalize it out. It's great if you verbalize it to somebody, but you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. The Bible says you'll be saved. And I, and I really want to encourage you, and I challenge first service about this. I really want to challenge you. Make sure you're confident in your salvation. Because I think sometimes we can be told by parents, oh, yeah, you got saved when you were eight years old. And some people do. I'm not, my wife got saved when she was a child. But sometimes that's not the case. And we walk around wondering, I don't, I don't, know, if I, I don't know if I've actually ever surrendered my life to Jesus. I don't know that if you looked at my life, would you see the fruit of somebody who's been saved by Christ? And I would never push you out of fear, but what, what if he does come back today? Are, are you saved? Have you given your heart to Jesus? I encourage you to do that today. I'd love to talk to you. Our team would love to talk to you. You can scan the QR code in front of you, whatever's easiest for you, but we want to walk alongside of you and help you in that journey. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess your mouth. I'll give you a moment in a minute. Second, he says, stand firm. Stand firm in what you believe. Listen to me, church. We got to go back to praying. We got to go back to reading our Bible. They got to become staples. We got to know what we believe because the world is coming after us and there's attacking and fear and concern and issues. And we've got to be firm, not able to be moved. In 2024, I'm taking our whole church to this Bible engagement. We're gonna, we're, my goal is for us to read more Bible than we've ever read as a church because I want us to be firm about what we believe in. That we know. And then thirdly, watch this. Give yourself to the Lord's work. Is there anything better to give our life to? If I just have this short period of time, I don't want to get a bunch of stuff. I don't want to have a bunch of followers. I want to give my life to the work of God. I want to give my life to the church. I want to give my life to ministry so that as many people as possible can hear the same gospel I heard, can be saved by the same grace I was saved by so that I could see them in heaven. And so I challenge you, listen to me, listen to me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Number one, get saved. Surrender your life to Jesus. Number two, stand firm. Start putting patterns in your life where you know what you believe. And then thirdly, give your life to the work of the kingdom. I know you're going to think I'm biased because I pastor a church, but I think church is one of the best ways to do that. One of the best ways. I'll tell you this and then we'll pray. We are right now in the middle of the greatest debate as a country. This is the time of the year where we get into the greatest debate as a country. And, and that debate is whether or not you can put your Christmas decorations up right now or not. Y'all thought I was going political, didn't you? I don't know. I'll split a church with Christmas lights. That's just kind of the goal. I was telling a friend of mine at small group, I was like, put them up now. Well, if that makes you happy, if that brings you peace, put them up in July. Who cares? 
You know what I mean? Leave them up all year round if it makes you feel better. You had to do what culture says. That's not, why I'm, that's not what I'm preaching about. I'm not getting down there. But here's my reason for telling you this. Over the next 30 days, our entire country is going to start shifting the way they live. People are going to start putting stuff up, taking stuff down. They're going to take certain pictures down and put up these Merry, Merry, Jingle, Jingle Bells, all these different pictures up. They're going to take stuff off the counters and put these cute little nativity scenes and Christmas trees. They're going to go up in the attic and bring down all the tubs, you know what I'm talking about, and pull out all this stuff, ornaments and special ornaments and buffalo plaid and all this stuff. And they're going to set up this tree and they're going to decorate this tree and they're going to get in their car and they're going to turn to Mariah Carey, right? Y'all ain't listened to Mariah Carey in 11 months, but now all of a sudden you're going to listen to her for the next 30 days and everything about your life's going to change. The music you listen to, you're going to start watching all those classic TV shows like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman where he melts at the end and your entire life is going to shift. It's going to start changing. Everything you do, how you talk is going to change. How you spend your money is going to change. How you spend your evenings are going to change. And it's all going to change in preparation of one event. The coming of the king. Because that's what we'll celebrate. December 25th, whether it's historically correct or not, is irrelevant but we'll celebrate the first coming of the king. And here is my, my prayer and my passionate plea to you is surrender your life to God and allow him to start changing your everyday life in preparation for another event, the second coming of the king. Could you stand with me, everybody in this room? Holy Spirit, I pray right now just... fill you in this place. Come on, if you would just like him to just right now, just say, Father, I need you. If you're in this place and you, you've been fearful over this, say, Father, I, I need you to remove fear. If you've fallen away from God, you've gotten away from him, what a great moment to just kind of have a reset. Father, I just pray right now for every one of us that you would begin to shape and shift who we are. That you would challenge the way that we live our lives. That as much as we would start to prepare things differently for a holiday season, we would start to ask you to change our lives in preparation for your second coming. That God, we'd start living now like we should be living then. Father, help us to live with the resurrection in mind. Come on, just make that your prayer. Say, Father, take away the fear of death. Help me to not fear death, Father. Help me to believe that there's more. This is not the end, but the beginning. Father, I pray that you'd give us resurrection in mind. Eternity in mind. Come on, for a fresh burden right now. Ask him to give you a fresh burden for your coworkers, for your family that you'd have eternity in mind. If you're in this place and you've never given your life to Jesus, 
You've never accepted his salvation. Right now, make that your prayer right now. Say, Father, I'm a sinner, and I know it, and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it with my heart. Father, help us to go deeper, to know more, to stand firm. Help us to give our life to your work. Come on, just lean in for a moment. Just lean in for a moment. Ask for the presence of God to touch you right where you are. Say, Father, I know you're in this place. I know you're in this place. And then in this season, I will not panic, but I will live with purpose. Remind me that you're with me, that you're walking with me, that even when the rain comes, when the wave falls, Father, I won't be scared. I won't have fear, but I'll trust you because I belong to you, Jesus. Come on, right now, make that your declaration.